Hey podcast, you're listening to episode number 74, Betrayal Trauma Recovery, part two. So if you haven't listened to part one, go back to episode number 73. Thanks guys. Welcome to the LDS Divorce Coach Podcast. I take the sting out of divorce. This is your host, Emily Sanchez. Hey everybody, thank you so much for joining me on this part two, the continuation of Kiri's story. Um, I know I'm beating a dead horse here, but please go listen to part one so that you can understand more of what betrayal trauma actually is. Kim Day, a mental health counselor, is there helping us along the way to um, get the right labels and um, so that we can understand how betrayal trauma uh, recovery even came into existence and what it does and what some of the processes are. In this episode, we are going to go more into the four pillars of recovery. And we're going to hit boundaries really, really hard. I think that's the most difficult thing (laughs) to understand how to set boundaries, how to practice them. So we really go into that. And where I left off was, Kiri was just talking about living in the world where her spouse is seemingly trying to recover from his pornography addictions, but you keep making discoveries you keep seeing things that are getting worse and worse and you feel like you're getting ran over by a car over and over and how you can just live in that and while you're living in that the promises are being broken and whatever is said just lies to be honest and so i asked the question how do you jump out of that while you're in that you know, with your recovery and your healing. How do you get out of that? So that's where we leave off right here. So hopefully you can spend some time listening in. Thanks for listening, guys. I I guess the first thing I would say is I don't know that I jump out of that. I think it's even now there's still a wrestle. I would say I crawl. (laughs) I crawl with everything I have. Um, And I'm sure that looks different at different points in our journey in my own. but I think it's it's really it's really coming back to that healing and those those tools and those resources and and feeling first like Kim really touched on validated. You need to have a space to heal. If someone can't even acknowledge that you need healing, you're not going to get help. Yeah. So that's huge. How she put that. That was beautiful. But then beyond just having that space, it's these tools that you uh, come across and you you can't just pick them up and you're perfect at using them. You have to practice again and again. And for me, that would be self-compassion, right? And I think, I'm, I'm sure, Emily, you've experienced this too. You have to go back with compassion. And I, I actually, somewhere along my journey, Kim said to me, you know, Kiri, now that this story is coming to an end, you're going to go back and you're going to rewrite it. Like, you're going to make sense of this. And hopefully I'm quoting, not misquoting you, Kim, <laughs> or not misrepresenting you. But that really hit me. Like, I need to go back and rewrite the story. Because maybe before I would have said, he did this and I was really stupid or, but now it's like, how do I go back and, and change that message so that it's empowering, that it's compassionate. And it's not like it's a lie. It's truth. It's my truth. Yes. You know, I, I was naive when I entered my marriage. I thought this wouldn't be a problem. And to some degree, I'm sure he experienced that. But beyond that, really, like I said, you, you do the best you can with the information that you have. And I think, I don't, I mean, it's not, it's kind of not sufficient to say, well, that's not productive because it's a real feeling. It's a real feeling of, wow, how do I deal with that? And I think that takes time. That is that journey of crawling out of that. 
And like Kim said, so, you know, perfectly going back and rewriting the story. And that takes time, you know, because I think that's really almost like the grief work. I look back and, and there was a loss there. Maybe I lost that, that ability that I felt, I felt good about myself or I felt safety. Maybe I, and, and that trust, there's so many losses I think we can go back and look at. And, and really, we just want to say, oh, you were so stupid. You should have just done this. But there again, it's almost like if we have the courage to go back and, and sit in the feeling and say what it is, you know, I think it, it really is grief. And then at that point, can we give it self-compassion and love? Mm -hmm. I love that. Having a space, a space to start for validation. I think along with that, too, is a community you know, building your community, because if you, you know, even if you have the greatest support system, you know, if your parents are, and they're thinking, oh, you need to get over this, or you, you need to be con conscious of your community, and the messages that you're receiving and taking from that, and who you choose to have inside or outside that community for healing. Kim, anything to add there? Absolutely. I love, I love what Carrie said and, and that addition about community I think is key. There's, there are three pillars in our WORF program that we keep referring back and back to that really create the foundation of what we believe promotes healing. And one of them is connection. One of them is boundaries. One of them is action, identifying what you can do, where it, what is it within your control and what's not. And the other one is self-care. And I think a lot of this uh, touches on self-care. I think and we talked at the beginning about these messages that we get. Um, and then this is bigger than any one couple or individual. And this is, there are cultural messages that we get inside the church and just in the culture about what, what does it mean to be a partner of an addict? And those messages that, that I've been duped or there's something wrong with me. A lot of it, it comes back to we, we get used to Put, taking on that blame there's something wrong and that there I was a fool is another way of taking on that blame like again that we're taking responsibility for what was not um and I love what Kiri said it was so powerful to say do you have the courage to rather than it's a way of kind of brushing off the experience and then the, the what can be really intense negative emotions and we start minimizing our own experience but if we can be self uh, have that self-compassion for ourselves and look at it and say, look, I went into this marriage the way that I should have. I went in giving 100%, not holding anything back, expecting to trust my husband, giving him my whole heart, having no little things in the back of my head that say, you know, those little voices that say that we should be distrusting. Being a trusting person, that, there's nothing wrong with that. That's not weakness. That's not foolish. That's not, that's, that's good. Of all the people that you should be able to trust, it should be your husband. And so mm -hmm. going into that marriage in that way, and I think, I think we even have scripture that says that God delights in that. I mean, he, he wants women and men, not just women, to be able to enter in this marriage, into a marriage where they, um, where they can be completely united. I mean, that is the pattern. We went into a marriage as one party, um, giving in the way that we have been asked to give, believing in the way that we've asked to be been, been believed, um, trusting in the way that was right to trust in a marriage relationship. And yet we've experienced all of these injury. And so it's natural to say, well, I did that wrong. Mm -hmm. I 
did that wrong. That's natural to say that. Man, I did that wrong. I'm not going to do that again. And yet, it wasn't that we did it wrong. It was there was another party in his agency involved in that. Um, and I love what Carrie said about tools. Um, yes, there are things we can do. We can learn boundaries. We can learn things so that we don't go into uh, another relationship as uh, we will know how to protect ourselves in future situations. But it doesn't mean that we did it wrong. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I love that there's those pillars. I really like the clear-cut pillars. And, and under the self-care pillar, what I've seen in the, not just the Mormon culture, but traditional religious type cultures, there is a self-deprecation almost. I see it more common with the, the wife that, you know, they need to neglect themselves or that's kind of a martyred position that they, we misconstrue that for kindness and whatever. You know what I'm trying to say. And that Absolutely. needs to be... That's more Christ-like. That, yes, and that is not. That, that's not Christ-like. He stood up for himself, as we can see evidence in the scriptures and many things. But yeah, there's this concept of being nice, quote-unquote, that it, it's just false. So we need to teach our young daughters to stand up for themselves and to <laughs> have a voice and, and know what self-care is and self-confidence, and it doesn't equal uh, debasing yourself in any type of form. Absolutely. Let's go back to the pillars a little bit and talk about boundaries. Kim, you mentioned boundaries as one of those pillars, and, and that is the question I get most, is how in the heck do you set boundaries with a person you want to trust, a person you don't want to leave. You know, people a lot of times feel like a boundary has to be like, well, I'm going to leave you if you do this. Can, can you uh, elaborate a little bit about uh, what, and, and even give some examples of what someone can do? Yeah, absolutely. And, and boundaries, they are very hard. I just want to give they they take a lot of effort uh, and a lot of courage, and they also take usually being able to build. And you mentioned this early earlier, Emily, having kind of a, a community that supports you. You need to be able to get those messages from others to to validate that, especially if you're not used to setting boundaries, that it's okay to do and and right and healthy. So a boundary, and actually, I got this from Curie. One of <laughs> boundaries are identifying where you have control, where you have power. And so very often, and it's incredibly common to have boundaries being misused as a way of a threat or a way of coercion. Uh, I want you to, and even well intentions, I'm going to try to make you stop pornography. Therefore, I'm going to put all these consequences. If you do it, I'm going to try to punish you. So boundaries are used as a punishment. They're used as a threat. They're used as a way to try to coerce. And that's not a boundary. That's a punishment, a threat, or a coercion. And so... It, it's really hard and part of our recovery and separating out, you know, is to honor his agency and that he's going to do, he's going to make what it should, or, or her. Sometimes it's the husband who's married to an addict wife. I'll honor their choice. But a boundary is saying, I don't have to take on some of the negative consequences of your poor choices. So it's identifying where we do have power and identifying what will help to create safety for us when safety is really what's being violated. And there are lots of ways to create 
boundaries. It, sometimes it helps to break them into different categories, physical boundaries, sexual boundaries, emotional boundaries, communication boundaries. So often, and I'll start, I'll go reverse order in those, but oftentimes our communication, uh, and, and Carrie talked, uh, touched on this too, where this is more than just a single behavior of, I am acting out on occasion with a computer and myself or whatever it is. There, there are so many, it has, it, it is pervasive and it, it impacts all areas of our relationship and their way of being. So it impacts the way they interact with us. There's a lack of empathy. Oftentimes they're a lot more irritable. They're angry sometimes and not always, but sometimes there's a lot more direct shaming or blaming. There's a lot of uh, levels of abuse that go along with pornography use and so oftentimes communication boundaries become really important where if they're getting escalated or they're getting angry um, setting boundaries for ourselves about being able to leave a conversation that's not productive or that is harmful or that is demeaning to us mm-hmm. um, that would be one example of a communication boundary and we could talk a lot more about communication boundaries how to do that uh, let's see that physical boundaries sometimes that is um sometimes and this is very common actually you mentioned triggers at one point um sometimes their proximity to us can be very triggering and we need our own safe spot that may be our bedroom maybe for a time we're in separate bedrooms and they're not allowed in our bedroom or there's a spot uh, in the house or even further so physical distance from that person um or from certain things like you may not do pornography in the house. If you do it in the house with the kids, sometimes that's really important to women where it's one thing and it's a huge deal in and of itself that he's doing pornography at work or in his car or whatever. And there are going to be boundaries around that. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it feels incre- a lot more threatening when he brings it into the house because now this is sacred space. This is safe place. So there's maybe a different boundary around. If you're doing it in our house, you are no longer allowed to be in our house. Um, I've heard, and these are examples. and. The thing I want to say about boundaries is there is no one, this is the right way to do it. Mm-hmm. This is, if this happens, this is the boundary you set. It's all about, again, and it comes back to validating your own experiences, your own needs, your own feelings. What brings you a sense of safety and control? Not in a bad way, but what gives you a sense of this is where I can, this is what I can do for myself to take care of myself and for my kids. So I've had it suggested where, and it's not uncommon, like Kiri mentioned her story, to have your for this long period of time, there's perpetual slips or betrayals of trust. So I've heard suggested on the first slip up, you're out of the house for a night. You know, you find your own place, you know, and you can decide what that means. You go to your friends, you need whatever that is. The second slip up, you're out of the house two nights. The third time, you're out of the house three nights. The fourth, you know, and so... As you continue to choose pornography over the family or picking recovery programs, then you're out of the house, you're away for us a certain period of time. And with boundaries, there there is a learning curve. And give yourself permission to to practice them and to fine-tune them and to change them. They're flexible. They're there to meet your needs. You're not a slave to your boundary. You can change it when you feel like you need to or I didn't get that quite right. So that's physical boundaries. Sexual boundaries that's a sensitive topic and such an important one, such an important one, because there is so much sexual trauma that takes place as a result of a partner using pornography or, or any other 
acting out behaviors. There's so much that is brought into the bedroom that hurts a wife in ways that usually she's not even aware of. And so starting to recognize that and building boundaries around, we're not going to be intimate when you're doing pornography or work. This is one I love and I would actually encourage. We're not going to be intimate if I feel at any point I feel in that process that you are playing a movie in your head and you're using right. me to don't. Right. That's it's a really common dynamic that usually even the husbands don't even recognize that they're doing. But when they when they're in pornography and doing that a lot, then they come to their their wife and they're using her as an object rather than building a connection and have and being present with her. And they don't even recognize that. But the wife does. She feels that. And so that's a boundary that um, I really like and encourage. That when at any point I feel like this is happening, I am going to, to take a step back and I'm going to stop and we're going to go back to holding hands or whatever. So there are boundaries that you don't even have to necessarily tell. Sometimes we think boundaries are a list of things, like a list of demands that we hand him. But there are own rules they help to guide our choices and identify again beforehand where do we have control where do we have power did you cover the emotional boundaries did i or did i miss that i did not i did not thank you um so an example so uh we talked a little bit about gaslighting yeah so as women um identify that type of pattern in their relationship where maybe there's gaslighting taking place where their experience is being minimized or they're feeling devalued in any way they they can set a boundary again and it, it sometimes ties in with those communication boundaries that that i'm going to end that conversation if that's where that's going to go again there's there's many many examples we can talk about with the emotional boundaries but it comes back to women being able to identify their own experience what is being impacted what is not quite right and to create an action that they can follow through in that will give them a sense of safety and improve their, their own situation. And I remember what else, the other thing I was going to say is whenever we're setting a boundary or whenever we identify something that is that we would like to improve or we would like to have changed, there's the potential for two different responses. Well, there are multiple responses. And women really need to understand or anybody needs to understand before they set the boundary that they're not going to control the act outcome of that and they need to be prepared for any way that it goes so if you're gonna if you're gonna if this is going to be a boundary that you're going to communicate to your partner for example if you do pornography uh, and this is here's another common one um it's about disclosure i would like to be told and informed rather than discover it later on so if you have a slip up or if you view pornography I expect you to tell me within 24 hours or 48 hours. I expect you to come and be honest with me. That's a very common one around that. And if you don't, and I find out about it later, then there's a different consequence. And it, and it honors that there's a different impact for, for, what, for discovery versus right. disclosure. And so the husband or the addicted partner has the choice to, to honor that and say, I understand that, and, and I'll respect that, or to say, to fight against that, and say, no, I absolutely will not tell you. You have no right to know. Sometimes you, you hear that. I'm not going to tell you. And so then that changes the rules a little bit. Then you have to rethink the boundary, because it's about identifying what you can do. If he says, no, I won't do that, well, maybe that means then I have to 
live in a way that I expect that at any moment you're actually acting out. That any day that that you may have been doing pornography where you work because you have told me you won't tell me. You won't disclose. So I have to assume, I don't know where the, that feeling of uh, threat is coming from or how close or how frequent. Sometimes we get a sense by their behavior. but um, So our boundary may be, I, I'm not going to be intimate with you at all because I don't know if you've done pornography two hours before that. So it changes how we create safety for ourselves based on the information that we get from their response. Mm. We cannot control how they're going to respond to that. Uh, we can hope and we should hope, but we can't control it. And when we're trying to make boundaries about forcing them into a certain behavior, that's us kind of trying to control them. And that's not boundaries. But it is a pretty normal part of this experience as we're trying to learn how to create safety for ourselves. Kiri, do you have anything to add? There's so much there. I just feel like I could just listen to you all day, Kim. Like, I'm ready. I'm going to get a drink and then let's have the next. I'm ready for more. I feel the same. Um, <laughs> I think what I want to say, I love that she talked about the ways it could go when you set a boundary, because this is really, I feel like this is the life uh, that we experience often as a partner of as someone who's addicted. We, we experience these fluctuations when we're trying to figure out how to, how to survive, how to, how to be in relationship with them, but we can't control them. So there's kind of like this unknown and we're figuring that out. So I think something that I've always been told is, you know, don't set a boundary you're not ready for. Yes. And I think it really is, I look back at myself and how, <laughs> as I was practicing the tool of boundary setting, I didn't do it perfectly. And I think I was really trying, but there are oftentimes maybe what was really, what was really leading my choices and my boundary setting was fear. And I think fear has a place and we can listen to that and acknowledge that. But what happens then is I am not, it's not afraid of I'm afraid of what might happen if you don't honor this boundary. And so it has to be respected. So that's kind of where it becomes a demand. I don't think many women are, are saying, here's what you will do. And I demand it to be done. I mean, we use the words like policing and controlling. And honestly, I feel like there are some women who are very compassionate and loving. And really what's maybe driving is fear. They're trying to do everything they can to feel safe because they don't feel safe. And so it's like, I remember presenting my husband with like, <laughs> I felt like I presented all these perfect boundaries. Like this is the answer. And then realizing, Oh, it's not, it's not like I need to set boundaries for me. I can't control what he does. And I have to be prepared that, you know, am I prepared asking that hard question? Am I prepared if he doesn't honor this boundary? If I can identify, this is what I need. This is important. Or, you know, for lack of a better term, this is the hill that I do want to die on. This is that important to me. And this may sound like an ultimatum to someone else, but I am honoring myself and I'm stepping into my own power enough to say, this matters that much to me, that if you do this, I need to respond in this way. This is how I love me. This is how I protect me or me and my children. And that is, that is, that takes a lot to get there. So I think it's a lot of practice. It's a lot of, and I love how Kim brought out the different environments, the different, you know, capacities that we could set boundaries in because we need a lot of practice because it does take so much courage, mainly because of that component of it's often going to be violated. It's often going to be rejected. And that hurts. <laughs> That's part of the process. And maybe not for every woman, but I think to some degree, they're fumbling around and learning. We're fumbling around and learning. And yet at the same time, we can still have expectations. We can still honor our own 
feelings and needs. And that's really what boundaries are about. And so if it becomes about controlling their behavior, I think it's, we need to take a pause. Like for me, what am I really feeling? Am I super afraid that if he doesn't do this, like, what am I worried about? So I think it is important to anticipate and analyze what are the potential outcomes of this boundary? And sometimes we just think, oh, I've set the boundary. I'm using the tool and now I'm going to be good. And maybe we're not ready for, you know, that next, that unknown. So I think exploring that a little bit and our feelings, um, I don't know if that makes sense, but makes total sense and you said it so beautifully you know I think I'm not even very good at setting boundaries with my own kids y'all but keep the hope alive that it it requires practice and, and I love what you said earlier Carrie is about the intention and where it's coming from and so as we are practicing these a lot of it is uncharted waters we don't know, but we have that intention and we're just going to try. We're just going to keep going and keep trying and keep hoping for ourselves. I like that you centered that in, in our, our self and what we can handle and what we deserve and what we need. So I'm kind of wanting to lead to a little bit of a close. What would you say to the person in a similar situation? Maybe they're in the middle of it right now, or maybe they just discovered. But any final words for our listeners out there? So I think my message would just be, and this took time for me to learn, but my message would be that for me, what I learned when I found healing was that my story is a story of hope. And I guess in a sense, it doesn't matter the outcome. It doesn't matter what he chooses or doesn't choose because I was able to combat those messages that we talked about, right? This I'm a fool or I'm not enough, or, you know, I don't have worth if he doesn't love me or choose me. And I could change that and say, that's not reality. That's fear. These aren't true. And I think that that point, it becomes a story of hope and empowerment and freedom. And I, I think that's the ground. And that's the thing that I would say to anyone listening is that your story is a story of hope. Don't listen and think, well, that didn't happen for me. And so I'm, that's not going to, I don't have hope. Or don't say, well, I have different circumstances. And so this can't work for me. Or I'm not capable of setting that boundary. Or, you know, I think that comparison is just going to rob you of the feeling that you need to feel right now, which is hope. Because that message is alive. And it's for every person listening. It's for every woman that's experienced this. Any partner that's experienced betrayal. There's a story of hope. And that's your story. So it's about stepping that, stepping into that power and claiming that for yourself. I love that. Now I'm going to make you, <laughs> I'm going to make you give your other message for the divorce folks out there. What's your oh, okay. message? Yes, I'm, I'm curious. I think what I would want to say, and this is for me because I feel like, you know, <laughs> there's so many nuances and layers to even divorce. I mean, we just touched the surface on so many things today. But I think this could be a whole, I mean, as it is, it's a podcast that you've dedicated and I, you've dedicated your time and your experience and your wisdom. To, and I think that's beautiful. It's a huge topic. What I really would want to say to someone who, especially if they've experienced similar circumstances and they're choosing to divorce, I think I just want to share from my experience, you know, when I, when I made the choice to divorce and I, um, I actually talked to my best friend and this is what she said to me and I found it really validating and understanding. And she said to me, you know, Curie, I know that you didn't make this choice alone. And I think to me that that was just this message of acknowledging 
that there was somebody else who made choices that had consequences that now put me in a position where I had to choose how to survive them. And what, what happens sometimes, and if I can be frank, what can happen maybe sometimes as members in the church or maybe of other religions, we can feel that divorce is not an option. Mm-hmm. And what I want to say from, and I know this can be controversial for many listeners, but I think what I want to say for me and my story is what it was about for me was learning that divorce wasn't the wrong choice, but it was a choice. Mm-hmm. And it was about trusting Heavenly Father and that he could provide healing, that he would help me through this process. And, and really what, what, what the case was is that I didn't even imagine this path. I couldn't even contemplate it. It wasn't an option. I wasn't ready for it, whatever the reasons, whatever the message is. But once I was able to, then it was like, wow, this path was always available. And Heavenly Father and my Savior were always ready to come alongside me, whether I was staying or whether I was going. And I think that was so powerful to hear this message of this is a choice you can make. This isn't the wrong choice. This is a choice you can make. That is really, really powerful. As a child and throughout my you know, formative years, my dad instilled in us a no-quit attitude that fueled the fire in me during a tumultuous marriage. It was very difficult to make that decision in my mind of quitting, but it was not quitting. It was learning and growing and moving forward. So the Savior helped me through that. And so I really appreciate you saying it's just a choice. You guys, sometimes it's just that choice and it isn't a sole decision. So I really appreciate the power of that message. Kim, do you have anything to add there? Uh, Yeah. Um, I really appreciate courageous women like Curie, who, and like you said before, Emily, who are in the throes of it right now. You you listen to her talk and you think, wow, she's got this figured out. And you remind yourself, she is in this process. She is in the throes of the pain and the grief and the betrayal. And yet from this place of her own pain that she will stand up and say, I know there are others out there who have been hurt. Like I have been hurt. Um, and that I, to me, that's the message I wanted to share is that while we are bringing pornography to light and treating it and treating those who are, who are afflicted with it gently with love and compassion, those individual men and women who have gotten caught up in an insidious web, let us also bring to light their partners, their spouses, and those who have loved them and who are suffering often immensely and attend to their pain and their wounds with at least that same level of compassion and tender loving care. Because there is a huge pressure in our culture today to normalize and to minimize it. And I'm here to say that that's not the only way that we can go. There is another way. Individuals facing this overwhelming pressure as as individuals are feeling silenced. They're feeling isolated. They're feeling crazy. They're being told and they're feeling that they're oversensitive and that there's something wrong with them for hurting, uh, for not liking it, for... Uh, for all of the things that we talked about today. But I want to say that they're not alone and they're not wrong to 
to say this is not acceptable. For those who are entangled in the web of pornography, we don't, you don't need to waste your energy downplaying, minimizing, and rationalizing it, or in any way trying to make it more acceptable. It never will be. Use your energy to get free, because you can. There is hope. And then for spouses and partners, because this was all about you, for once, a topic on uh, pornography that's not about the, the user, um, you don't need to minimize pornography because you're the partner either. You don't have to deny your feelings and experiences because they're real and they're valid. And your, your path to healing is not by denying it or downplaying it, but by honoring your experience because you matter. And I, I, my message is the same as Carrie is one of hope. There is so much hope for those hurt by pornography. Hope starts with truth, whether you're a user or a suffering spouse. Being willing to courageously speak your experience is the beginning of healing. And if you're in that place, do not hesitate to reach out and to look for help. Just like someone who is addicted to it or is using it, they need to reach out and get help and not expect to just do it on your own often the partners in that same boat where they need to reach out and get that support and that help and that that compassion from others they're out there you're not alone thank you for your beautiful words i think that that's perfect to end on you know in the macro sense of what's going on in the world right now is it not to give a voice to the voiceless yeah. and that's what our hope is to help today so thank you for your voices and doing that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening today. Come on over and visit me at CoachEmilySanchez.com. Don't forget to subscribe. And as always, make it a great day.